today we're going to spend some time talking about one of the great theologians, one of the most courageous missionaries of Scripture. You, I'm sure, would guess that that would be Paul. We know so much about this man, but sometimes, I think, even in our familiarity, we miss some of the nuances of his writing and some of his leadership that contributes so much to our understanding of what it means to follow Jesus. I like to keep things simple. And so as I was studying these last few days and thinking through what we needed to understand this morning, um, I was trying to reduce a description of Paul's ministry just to a sentence or two, and, and this is what I came up with. Paul was passionate about pointing people to Jesus to experience transformational change. Paul worked to mentor, producing leaders who would submit themselves fully to following Jesus and doing the same as Paul in multiplying followers of Jesus. This notion of multiplication is common with all of Paul's ministry. And one of his more intriguing um, principles that he that he has taught, and, and we, we see it repeated in Scripture, but we see it first mentioned in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, that says, be imitators of me as I of Christ. Paul says, you imitate my life just as I seek to imitate Christ. And it would be easy for us to fall into the trap of thinking that there was... Um, uh, a, a feeling of almost haughtiness. I mean, I think it would be difficult probably for most of us to look at somebody and say, be like me as I'm like Jesus. I mean, there's something about that that feels like it's prideful. And yet Paul says, watch me, do what I do, say what I say, just as I watch Jesus, just as I follow Jesus. Paul was never about drawing the attention and glory for himself. Instead, he was always eager to point people to Jesus. And so I'm curious today, how often are we confident enough with our walk with the Lord to say, follow me as I follow Jesus? Now, I while we're not going to go, you know, row by row and let each of you answer that, I, I'm curious to know how confident are you to say that to someone? The person that you run into at the senior center, the person that works across from you, the person that lives across from you, to say, watch my life as I follow after Jesus. And yet, that was Paul's message the best descriptor of that whole notion is this word discipleship. And far too often we've tried to make discipleship something that happens in the classroom or something that happens in a large room with a famous or a powerful engaging speaker. And certainly there is benefit, don't misunderstand, there is benefit to sitting under the word as we do in this room. I am incredibly thankful for Pastor Keith and his ministry and his passion for speaking the truth of the word. However, if that's the end 
of what we know as discipleship in our lives, then we are selling ourselves short for all that God has for us. We like to quote Matthew 28, 19, and 20 as the Great Commission and use it to point to missions and the missional mandate to go to far and near places. Thank God for that. But it goes much, much farther as it commands us to what? To teach. It commands us to make disciples. And it also commands us to be discipled. And so already, you know, there, there should be some questions floating around between your ears. Who am I discipling? Who have I discipled? Who is discipling me? And my fear is that for so much of the Western church, the answer to that question is one person, one line, and that's it. And, and it's not even truthful for all situations. Most of us just point back to our senior pastor, and that's, that's, my, that's my discipler. And this notion of who are you discipling, man, that's even harder. So often we don't feel um, equipped. So often we don't feel like we know enough. So often we don't feel worthy enough. But none of those excuses are found in Scripture, right? Disciples are made by being an example. And that requires life up close. It's how Paul made disciples. He would go to a place, spend some time there. He would teach. He would plant gospel seeds and live life among those people in that place that he was teaching. He wanted them to be able to watch him. He wanted to mentor them. He felt a burden to invest in their lives for the sake of Christ. I told the group of pastors that I met with uh, Monday morning, there was 60 or so uh, in the room. We had a great time together. Um, but I told them, I said, I know your heart is to see a movement of God across this nation, across all of India. I said, but it's not going to happen just by you standing in your pulpit or out under a tree, which is what many of them do, and teaching once a week. That's a great thing, and they need to do that. But there must be investment by them into the lives of young pastors, into the lives of people in their church. That's how multiplication, exponential multiplication happens. And the same is true for us living here in the United States and across the West. It must not be up to the person on the platform. This is a call that we all, as followers of Jesus, that all of us have been given. Paul is notoriously personal and transparent in his writings. 
The two letters to Timothy are no exception to that. In fact, they take the personal nature of the relationship between Paul and Timothy to a whole other level. Ultimately, Paul wanted Timothy to fully understand that he, Timothy, like the apostle himself, was under divine, divine calling as a minister of Jesus Christ. But in a wider sense, the epistle is a call for every believer to seek strength and pursue faithfulness in spiritual service. So we're going to look this morning. That's a, I don't know why I get sucked into long introductions, but that was your introduction. This morning, we're going to look at the first chapter of 2 Timothy. So I hope you'll turn there. It is not on the screen. 2 Timothy chapter 1, and I'm going to read through verse 5. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Help us discern. Help us discern that truth. Help us to understand the message for us just as Timothy had to understand the message that Paul was communicating to him. Lord, I pray that it's not something we just know in our head, but it's in our heart. It penetrates every, every nook and cranny of our life. And that because of the power of the truth, we live changed lives. Speak to us now. In your name we pray. Amen. Now, Paul's primary instruction to Timothy really doesn't begin to, uh, until down in verse 6. But these first five verses are important, and they, make, uh, they mark a great example of, of verses that it's very easy for us just to pass over when reading Scripture. I mean, you, you undoubtedly have had one of those moments that you've said, I'm going to spend more time in Scripture and so maybe you start with a New Testament book or it's an Old Testament book or whatever. You start with that, and there's some verses. It's just real easy to say, blah, 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 oh, this is important. And I think sometimes the, the um, introduction, the introductory passages to one of Paul's letters can be easily overlooked. But what I found as I was studying through this passage, that even in the introduction, there is such truth for us to unpack and to understand how it should reflect in our life. There is a clear closeness between Paul and Timothy as we read these verses. And remember, discipleship requires 
proximity. It requires transparency. Paul indirectly references the risk of this from the very beginning. And as we study this, we'll see some principles of the relationship that existed between Paul and Timothy and hopefully understand the the implications for us and our discipling relationships. Because you see, that's one of the questions that we often raise is, well, what what do you mean, Eddie? Who am I discipling? I I don't understand what, what that means. Well, let's look at some of this. Paul was a success in so many ways. He was educated. He had been well thought of before his conversion by the power people of his day. And in the days following his uh, conversion, he had gained a great respect among the followers of the way. But from the very beginning, Paul put himself in a position of humility. And again, you look at the very first words of verse 1. An apostle of Christ Jesus. It would have been real easy for him to say, I'm Paul, the really important guy. Right? I'm Paul, the Pharisee of all Pharisees. I'm Paul, a little bit smarter than you. But that's not what he said, is it? An apostle of Christ Jesus, as we begin to take seriously the call to disciple, we must understand, listen, this is not about us. It is not about you, and it is not about Me. Paul states from the beginning that he was an apostle of Jesus Christ. I mean, he he could have even put the period after the word apostle. I'm an apostle. And Timothy would have understood what he meant by that. But Paul goes another step and says, I am an apostle of Jesus Christ. He wanted to make sure that Timothy understood this is about Jesus This is not about you. This is not about me. This is not about our comfort. By the way, he's in prison. That phrase, an apostle, Jesus Christ, communicates both power, both humility, and power or authority. As I said, Timothy already well understood Paul's apostleship, but Paul is reminding him that just as Paul is under the authority of Christ, Paul speaks an authoritative word to him because he's an apostle. Paul, rightly so, could say to Timothy, my child, my brother, my friend, listen to me. I'm an apostle. I have seen Jesus. I have seen his works. We need to understand that intimacy does not preclude authority. You can have an intimate relationship with someone, be very close, be very transparent with someone, and still recognize the authority that's there. The relationship of love that parents have with their children does not preclude their authority over their child. It better not, or there's big, big problems. 
A parent-child relationship of love without authority is doomed to tragedy for the entire family. No matter how cordial a working relationship may exist, a business cannot succeed if employees refuse to recognize and submit to the employer's authority over them, right? Paul writes to Timothy not merely as a dear friend, but as a divinely commissioned ambassador of God the Father and God the Son. He was an ambassador. He's not offering brotherly counsel, but declaring divine truth with firm authority. This was back, I'm going to guess, 2003. It's been a day or two. I was on staff as a pastor for discipleship at what was then First Baptist Church in Smyrna. And uh, over some time, uh, obviously, I had some close relationships and was in mentoring relationships with several people. Was in, and, and Pam will know exactly who I'm talking about. There were, there were three 20-something guys who I was meeting with at, weekly. And as... God would work, all three of them ended up working for the same music company in Brentwood, there on the south side of Nashville. But I'm telling you, those three guys, who, they were all great guys. And the Lord, the, listen, the Lord has worked through them incredibly. But they were, obviously, just like me, we were young and foolish then. I've never seen such drama. They worked together, they were in church together. And they, they started coming to me about each other. I'm like, are we in the eighth grade? No offense, eighth graders. Are we in the eighth grade, really? And I'd had enough. I got a phone call on a Sunday. I was eating, I was eating lunch on a Sunday after church, and I got a phone call from one of them. Started the same thing, just gripping about one of the other ones. And I said, Doug, as your pastor... Meet me in my office at 2 o'clock. There was silence. I hung up the phone, and I called both those other two guys, and I said, as your pastor, meet me in my office at 2 o'clock. And so I got to my office, 2 o'clock. They filed in like little puppies with their tails stuck between their legs. And we just had a little come-to-Jesus meeting about what it means to be a part of the body and how their testimony and their witness was being harmed and the damage that they were beginning to have in the kingdom because of their bickering and their silliness. Listen, discipling people has great moments, great moments of joy, but it requires hard conversations Sometimes also. Those conversations where you have to look at each other and say, I love you, but this needs to change. I love you, help me help you. I love you, but we are not being good for the kingdom. Paul realized his responsibility even to Timothy. 
You see, you and I are not apostles. We are not eyewitnesses of Jesus and his works. But that doesn't lessen our story or take away from the work that he has done in any of our lives. And because of that, we still have the responsibility and opportunity to speak into the lives of others. Who are you speaking into? Just quickly, another clue as to their relationship. The first part of verse 2 says to Timothy, my beloved son. That does not sound like something that you would say to someone that you had a superficial relationship with, right? That's somebody that you have walked the walk. You have talked the talk. You've been in the battles, Yesterday, Pam and I got to spend just a little bit of time in Chattanooga with Ben and Stephania and Aston. Aston's growing like crazy. It was so good to see them. I didn't know until 2008 and following really what that meant to say, my beloved son. And many of you have, have had a beloved son for a long time. But that's the relationship that Paul had with Timothy. His love for him, his compassion for him, his desire to see him grow. We, it was so good for us to hear Ben last night talking about things they're doing and his, and his work and his job. And he's such a proud dad. So good. So life-giving for, I think, both of us to see him and see his little family Paul took great pride in his love for Timothy. Look at the second part of verse 2. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus, our Lord. It was a tough time. And more and more the Christians were under attack. More and more they were, they were being examined. Rome was on the move Things were not going well. It was tough days. And Paul says, grace, mercy, and peace. Again, not from me, but from God, our Father, and Christ Jesus, our Lord. And and Paul makes that determination to get the uh, spotlight off of him and on to Christ. Grace, mercy, peace. And peace. We don't know all that was going on in Timothy's life. We know the general atmosphere of the, and the environment of the day and how difficult it must have been. The difficulty of false teachers, the difficulty of church division. Paul says, grace, mercy, and peace. Folks, The world needs, like never before, to see grace, mercy, and peace. I am super excited for us to complete this renovation project. 
and move into the other building, move back to the other building. But I'm going to tell you something that may or may not startle you. Most of the world don't care. They don't care. They don't care what, it, what our building looks like. They don't care how comfortable it is. They don't care how far we have, you have to walk from the parking lot to get into the building. They don't care about an elevator. There is so much conflict, disruption, confusion, bitterness, loneliness. Let me tell you what they care about. Grace, mercy, and peace. Not from you, not from me, but from God the Father and this Christ Jesus, the one we call Lord. The world needs more people to reflect, model, and speak grace, mercy, and peace. Are you contributing are you actively speaking and living grace, mercy, and peace? Because what I know without a shadow of a doubt, when we get caught up into perpetuating bitterness, when we get caught up in conversations that are not pleasing, when we get caught up in gossip, the world says, building, I don't, I've just seen a big crane over there, I don't care. They need to see, they need to hear, then they will believe grace, mercy, and peace. From God the Father, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Verse 3, the first part of verse 3 says, I thank God who I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did. Paul is saying, I thank God for you. He's, he's assuring Timothy, listen, I thank God for you. I'm grateful for what God has done for me through you. One of the principles that just has really locked into me uh, over the past several years now. Pam and I look at each other and say this so often. God brings people into our life for a season and for the benefit of both and for his glory. I'm gonna say that again. God brings people into our lives for a season, might be short, might be long. There are people who were close to me 10 years ago that I thought we will have dueling funerals. They are not walking in my life. We didn't have a fight. We didn't have an argument. We simply have moved apart. God brings people into our life for a season for the benefit of both. Listen, we don't need to go into this world with a God complex. Hi, I'm Eddie, and I'm here to fix you. 
hi, I'm Eddie, and I have a better way. We need to understand that when God brings people into our life for a season, for the benefit of both, because there is something that I can learn from you, there is something you can learn from me. There are days that I need to encourage you, and there are days that please give me reason to keep going. For a season, for the benefit of both, and for his glory. It kind of goes without saying. You think about the people that God has brought into your life. Maybe it was for six months. Maybe it's been for the last 16 years. The people that God has brought into your life for a season, for the benefit of of both, and for his glory. How has that relationship brought him glory? Are you thankful? Are you thankful for the people that God has placed in your life? Do you tell them? Do you tell him? Well, Eddie, you know, I'm just, it's just hard for me to say those kinds of things. Okay. It's hard. We can't run away from hard things. Have you told them what a blessing they've been? Have you told God what a blessing they've been? Thank you, God, for bringing them into my life. Thank you for making our paths cross. In the midst of unimaginable physical misery, Paul not only continued to praise God, but did so with deep gratitude from a guiltless mind and heart. Even in chains, Paul was grateful. Paul was thanking God for others. The second part of verse B, Paul assures Timothy that he's praying for him. Listen, when you know, when you know someone is praying for you specifically, what does that do for you? I promise you, when I land at New Delhi International Airport, I know that there are people praying for me. And many of them I can name because they've said, I'm going to be praying for you. When those border officers scan my passport and enter my visa number and it lights up like a Christmas tree, it's kind of hard for them to think that, oh, he's just here for the chai. I pray for blindness. When those wheels touch the ground in New Delhi, I pray for blindness for those custom officers, those border patrol officers. But I do that because I know that many of you are praying for me. You've had people say to you, I prayed for you Thursday. I know you were meeting with your son and things have been rough. I was praying for that conversation. 
I know you and your wife are struggling. I've been praying for your marriage. I know you are lonely. You're struggling with loneliness. I am praying that God would be your companion, but also that he would put people in your life for companionship. What does that do for you? So why are we often slow to speak those words and do those things? Please don't tell me you'll be praying for me if you're not. We need to pray for each other. Paul is telling Timothy, even here in my difficulty, I am thankful to God for you. He gets right down to it. I am praying for you. And then again, Paul gets both vulnerable and transparent as he says in verse 4, I am longing to see you even as I recall your tears so that I may be filled with joy. If you're going to be successful in discipling others, you must be ready to love them and to express genuine affection for them. You can't disciple someone and keep them at arm's length. Well, Eddie, I'm just, I'm just not that, you know, I'm not a warm, fuzzy person. Well, maybe God needs to change that in you. We must be ready to love them and to express genuine affection. Paul greatly missed Timothy's companionship and was longing to see him. I feel like if I am chained to a dirt in a, on a dirt floor in a dungeon that stinks, I've not had a bath, I've not had any clean water in months. Food is only enough to help me exist. I feel like I may not be praying to see someone else. And yet, here we are. You know why? It's not about us. For Paul, it wasn't about him. Later in the letter, he reflects the same aching desire, imploring Timothy, make every effort to come to me soon. Paul knew. Paul knew that the clock was ticking and his time was almost finished. Come to me soon. And then finally in verse 5, Paul affirms Timothy. He reflects on their intimate association, this time being mindful of the sincere faith within Timothy. I'm reminded of your sincere faith, the faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now I am sure dwells in you as well. One of my disciples in my life was my grandparents, all four of them, and I was very thankful to have enjoyed the relationship with them as well into my adult years. We lost my maternal grandmother uh, in 2017, so just seven years ago. They all invested in me in so many ways. But I remember my, my grandmother that passed in 2017 saying so often, Eddie, no regrets. 
Live your life as God's called you to live it. No regrets. And she would say, I'm so thankful for my journey. Good days, difficult days. I've lived my life with no regrets. Timothy, Paul has just reminded him, and this has not just started with you. It's multi-generational in your family. There may, you may be here this morning and you're thinking, you know, I, I didn't have those grandparents to invest in me, in my spiritual walk. Or, or maybe you didn't have parents who discipled you. By the way, listen, our job, if you will, as a church is not to be the first and last discipler for your grandchildren or your children. Our role is to come along beside you, grandparents, parents, and disciple with you as you are discipling your family. I'm going to ask you again, who are you discipling? Do you see yourself in these first five verses? Could Paul write these words to you? It's always the right time to do the right thing. Timothy's faith was completely genuine. Unhypocritical. I have no idea if that's a word, but I liked it. It was unhypocritical, without pretense, without deceit. In his previous letter to Timothy, Paul had written, The goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. In his second letter to the church at Corinth, Paul used the term to describe his genuine love. Peter used it in his admonition to all believers scattered throughout the Roman Empire. He said, since you have an obedience to the truth, purify your souls for a sincere love of the brethren. Fervently love one another from the heart. Are you a disciple? Are you a discipler? Are you being discipled? Are you discipling? That starts with love. A love that lets you point to Jesus Christ. A love that makes it okay for you to be uncomfortable and transparent. And a love that says, I want to be obedient to you, Jesus, more than anything else. And so I'm going to begin discipling someone. May we be found faithful in that.